Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Bear loves paperwork. Um, I hate paperwork. Sean and I are really bad at it. And I can tell you that out of 14 years of missionary life, working on resident visas to live in a foreign country, that's something you need. I think we've been having like pending paperwork for 10 of those 14 years. So that, that's just part of life. You're always hoping and waiting and you send things in and you're waiting for a response. Um, I want to show you a, just a quick picture of my kids, if it comes up, what they looked like when we first went to Spain. Aren't they cute? Super cute. So years ago, when they were little like this, we were doing paperwork. We'd already been to Spain for a few years, and we were renewing our visas. It takes a long time. You know, you're, you send all that paperwork in, and you're praying. You know, I need, I need legal residency to stay in Spain and to do my job. Well, um, we got all the paperwork back, and my beautiful children and my husband all got legal permission to stay in Spain. I got denied. So I'm the harmless mom of three. You know, I'm at the time even his legal dependent in Spain. And the Spanish government says only to me, you can't live in Spain anymore. You're out of here. You need to get on a plane within two weeks and go back to the States. So I felt terrible. You know, I felt really bad. That was the opposite of good news. Um, The opposite of what we had been hoping for. And thankfully, you know, eventually it got worked out. But I don't know if you've ever received kind of bad news like that, but your mind immediately jumps to all the implications. And you start thinking, I start thinking, I'm going to have to go back to the States, and the kids are little. They're going to want to come with me. And we're all going to go to the States, and then I'm going to have to, like, get a job at Starbucks. And I don't think I can pay the bills for my three kids at Starbucks. And then Sean's going to be lonely in Spain, because he doesn't do well without us. So he's going to come to the States too. And then we're both going to be working at Starbucks, which maybe we can pay the bills between the two of us, but I'm not sure. You know how like the implications go when you get bad news? It's called catastrophizing. I don't know if anybody else does that, but you you know, you kind of go in the future, well, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. So that's the opposite of what you want to hear. The gospel is the good news that we do want to hear right? The gospel means good news. It's what we've been waiting for and longing for. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the good news that everybody is waiting to hear. I can tell you when I finally did get legal residency in Spain, it was like life from the dead. You know, it was like, I'm saved. Life can begin again. Um, I don't know if you've ever received good news that was so exciting. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you felt like that when you got accepted to UVA. Or maybe when you were hoping to get onto a sports team and you actually did. Or that internship you were hoping for. That job you were hoping for. When you get the good news you've been hoping for, everything changes. And it's like, I can go forward. And the Bible says that this is such good news. It's like you're in the desert and you get a cup of cold water and you're saved. You know, I was thinking about 
um, people waiting on good news, like um, the basketball player in, in Russia who's been detained, Brittany Griner, right? What is she going to feel like when the good news comes? The charges against you have been dropped. You can go home. You're free. Imagine what that will feel like. Or I was thinking about the people in Ukraine who are suffering, right? They're in war. It just goes on and on and on. But one day, they're going to get news that says the war is over. You can go home. You can begin your careers again. You can raise your children. And it's going to be like life from the dead. It is good news that changes everything. So that's kind of what the gospel should feel like to us. And we lose that a bit because we get so familiar with that word. We hear it, right? The gospel, and we know it means good news. But this is the kind of good news that we need to remember that it is. It's the good news that changes everything. It changes everything. So one of the aspects about the gospel that we're going to talk a little bit is the fact that Paul, the Apostle Paul, he often calls it the gospel of the kingdom of God, the good news about the kingdom of God that's present in Jesus. So we got the good news part, but we don't talk as much about the kingdom part. And I think this morning, that's going to be a good word that's going to kind of encourage us and refresh us about that core meaning of the gospel. So it gets a little bit lost, that word kingdom. I think we're a lot more familiar with the word gospel. And partly it makes sense, right? Because um, kingdom is a little bit anachronistic because we don't live in a kingdom. We live in a democracy. That's good news also on earth, right? To live in a democracy. I'm pretty glad that I don't live in a kingdom, even though I was sad that Queen Elizabeth died and all of that. But still, I'm happy to live in a democracy. Um, but the word kingdom in the, in the Bible was much more familiar to people. And so it was a word that Jesus himself used. Remember when he came to earth, when he started his ministry and he said, repent, turn in a new direction because the kingdom of God is here in me. And Paul, again, he also used this word kingdom a lot. But I think that um, we understand as we start walking in our, in our journey with the Lord that the gospel is something we start with but it's something we're going to continue to grow in, right? We're going to continue to expound that meaning. And that's why if you look at all the letters in the New Testament, which are written to people like us, people who had already mainly put their faith in Jesus, there's a lot of information about the gospel. It's not just for people who have not put their faith in Jesus. It's for people like us who are starting on their journey or continuing on their journey. We too need to be refreshed about what this is. Um, You know, when you have kids, it's a little bit more clear to you that there's layers to this thing about following Jesus. Because our kids understand a little bit about Jesus, um, but we know that as parents, we have to keep telling them. You know, it's the same thing about sex. You tell them once at the beginning, and then they forget all about it. And you have to tell them again, and you have to layer it, you know? There's a lot of things that when kids are little, you have to tell them and you have to keep telling them. You have to explain more. Um, When our kids were little, we did our best to tell them about Jesus. And it was quite a privilege. But our kids had big questions. I remember when our son Luke was four, and um, 
we were kind of in a little power struggle, as you do with four-year-olds. And uh, four-year-olds have these big brains, you know, they're asking these big questions. And Luke says, um, well, we had this little power struggle, and I put him in timeout. I don't know if your moms and dads did that, but we were big on timeout. So he had this place on the stairs where he sat in timeout, and when the timer went off, I went to get him after a couple of minutes, and he's sitting on the stairs. Um, And he says, Mom, I have a question. And I'm like, great, you know, this is going to be some long, drawn-out story. But he said, Mom, if Jesus took my punishment... So he's been listening in Sunday school, my four-year-old. He said, if Jesus took my punishment, why are you putting me in timeout? It's like, oh, son, that's a good question. That's a good question. But, you know, I thought, okay, we need to go a little bit further with this whole gospel thing, right? My four-year-old's gotten a little bit of it. Jesus took my punishment. And if that's all he gets, that's pretty good. But we got to go further. So Paul writes to the Colossians, and he wants them to go further with the gospel. They knew Jesus had taken their punishment. They'd put their faith in Jesus. But he says to them, there's more. I want to encourage you. There's more. So I'm going to start with um, just a few verses in Colossians this morning. And in chapter 1, in verse 13, there's a beautiful summary of the gospel. Paul says, remember, friends, remember, he's writing to people like us who have put their faith in Jesus. He says, remember, friends, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that an awesome summary? God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Sean and I are in Spain making this announcement and inviting people to respond. It's an announcement for everyone, everywhere. It's good news. Everyone, everywhere, in every generation is waiting to hear Because we think that we're free, but the truth is, Paul says, you already live in some kind of kingdom. Isn't that what this verse says? He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Paul's saying everyone everywhere already lives in some kind of kingdom. Paul calls it the kingdom of darkness. So Spaniards have lived under a lot of kingdoms. Any history majors here? Andrew Foster, who works with us, is a history major. History major? Okay. So you know, Spaniards have lived under a lot of kingdoms. When our kids were little, they went to Spanish public school. And when they had history class, we, we sort of felt a little embarrassed as Americans because Spanish history is so long. It is so long and complicated. And I felt like their history book was just so big You know, and what makes it into our American history books is kind of short, really, um, in comparison. So a Spanish history book, even for little kids, it starts with prehistory. It starts with, like, cave art 20,000 years ago. And then they talk about the Iberians, and then they talk about all the people who came to Spain. 
and, and dominated, right? They talk about the Phoenicians who came and the Romans who came and the Visigoths who came and the Muslim empires. Then we get to the modern era of the 1500s and the kings and queens. And then all the way up to the 20th century with a dictator and a civil war. Finally, the 1980s, they got democracy. That's a lot of kingdoms, a lot of agendas, a lot of expectations and conditions that Spaniards live under. But Paul says, all that comes and goes. Jesus has rescued you from something deeper. Jesus has rescued you from the actual force that dominates all humans everywhere, which he calls the kingdom of darkness. And he says, in Christ, you have become free, not to be a lonely individual who makes up life on your own. No, he's transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to a new kingdom, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the Son of God, Jesus' kingdom. You're in a new kingdom. You're under new authority. This is the good news that changes everything. So what's this about this word kingdom that's so important? Um, Of course, politically, a kingdom tells you where one country ends and another begins. A kingdom tells you in this space, what are the rules to the game of life? So on one side of a border, you're free to do X, Y, Z. On the other side of a border, you'll go to jail if you do X, Y, Z, right? You're in a different kingdom. On one side, you might pay a bribe to get out of jail. On the other side of the border, you might pay a lawyer to get out of jail. The kingdom that you're in sets the conditions and the expectations of your life. So Paul's saying, in a big sense, Who sets the conditions and expectations of your life? Who's in charge of your life? What's the point of your life? How do you know that you're living the right life? Who tells you this is a good life or this is not a good life? We all live in some kind of kingdom, everybody on earth. And the truth is, we all wonder, is this the right kingdom? That's a very human thing to wonder that. It's not a modern invention to wonder, are you living a good life? You know, sometimes we think we're the only ones who have angst about whether or not we're living a good life. But everybody always wonders if they're living a good life. Am I in the right kingdom? The Psalms say that people ask this question, who will bring me prosperity? It's another way of saying Am I in the right kingdom? Is the right person in charge of my life? Have I made the right choices? And then the Old Testament is full of people who ask this. The author of Ecclesiastes, a philosopher, you know, this is maybe 3,000 years ago. He had a lot of angst. If you've read the book of Ecclesiastes, he runs around saying, how do I live with purpose when I die? Right? Right? Isn't that the point of the book of Ecclesiastes? He's saying, how do we even live with purpose when we know that the end is death? That's the human condition. We wonder, are we living in the right kingdom? We're searching for a kingdom. So Paul says to these Colossians, and the Colossians are a lot like you and me, 
They were believers, a mixed group, Jews and Gentiles. They lived somewhere near Turkey. Paul's writing to this group of believers, and he says, you're already living under certain expectations. He says, if you're not living under the authority of God, you're living in what he calls the kingdom of darkness, but that's not your true home. Your true home is in the kingdom of God, and the good news is the kingdom is open to you through faith in Jesus. So that's the good news. The kingdom of God is present and open to us in Jesus. It's his kingdom. He's the king. So why is that such good news? Um, This is where in Colossians, Paul stops and he says, let's take a moment and let's consider the king of this kingdom. The king is the one who sets the conditions under which we live. And if Jesus the king then it makes sense if we're going to live under the gospel, we're going to live under the authority of this good news, we need to know a little bit more about this king. And again, Paul's writing to people who've already put their faith in Jesus. But I think like us, and Sean kind of referenced this last night, you know, we live in a world that makes it hard to see Jesus clearly. We live in a world that sort of distracts us, or it tempts us, or there's messages about what the agenda of your life should be. There's messages about what kingdom you should be living under. So we all need this constant refreshment to say, we've made Jesus our king. What what is that king like? Who is he really in our lives? So that's where we're going to turn in Colossians. We're going to take a few minutes and look at what is Jesus the king all about? So turn with me to Colossians 1. Verse 15 and 16, Paul says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. That's the biggest language possible. All things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. So this is what the king is like who sets the agenda of our lives when we put our faith in him. Everything in the universe, everything, everything in the cosmos, all the atoms, all the forces, the sun, the moon, the stars, all the planets, my life, your life, everything was created for Jesus. Everything belongs to Jesus, and it's for him. He's our why. He's our goal. His judgment is the one that matters. If we're created for him, then we know where we're going. We know what the point of our life is. We don't have to run around like the author of Ecclesiastes saying, vanity, vanity, it's all vanity, because we know who and what we're living for. It's Jesus. The good thing about this truth is that it puts together our public life and our private life. If we are living for Jesus, that means in my public life, if I'm going for a career or I'm going for graduation or for grades or I'm trying to develop a healthy relationship and get married and have kids, all 
things that other people see. It's for Jesus. All my choices, how I evaluate what, whether to do this or whether to do that or who's going to get the glory, we know publicly it's for Jesus. And that sets the course. It sets the direction of our lives. But it also means that privately, secretly, when nobody else sees you, those choices too are for Jesus. It means that when you make a private decision that nobody else sees and no one's going to pat you on the back for, that small sacrifice Jesus sees and he's pleased with you. Your private life and your public life come together when you know it's for Jesus, that he's your why. We have a lot of other whys in our lives. We have a lot of other expectations and goals, and that's okay. I do too. Those things aren't bad. You know, the grades and the graduation and the career and the relationships, whatever it is, those things aren't bad. But if they become our ultimate thing that we're going for, our ultimate why, they'll crush us because they can't live up to the pressure of your entire life and the life to come. Nothing can except for Jesus. And when we make him our why, our public life and our private life has some coherence. And our life here and our life to come after death has coherence. When he's our why, everything else makes sense. So what's your why this morning? What's your biggest why that drives you in your life? If you've put your faith in Jesus and he's your king, the good news is he's big enough to be your why now and even after death into the life to come. Make him, as Sean said last night, your single, solitary, supreme obsession, and he'll carry you through. So secondly, Paul says, Um, In verse 17 of Colossians, it says, Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We just sang about this, which was awesome. We didn't plan that. Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Again, Paul's reaching for the biggest words he can find. All things hold together in Jesus. What are you trying to hold together? I'm pretty good at holding things together temporarily. Um, I don't know about you, but I feel like that's a lot of human life. Is just like holding pieces together that tend to want to fly apart. I think there's something in us that senses some chaos behind the scenes. And so we're working really hard to hold everything together. Um, it's a, it's a burden, but it does feel like just what we do as humans. We try to hold things together. Um, I'm not always very good at it. Um, after a while, I get tired. You know, I have an image in my mind of what it feels like to try to hold everything together. When our kids were little, um, we had some giviers come to Spain, and they were fantastic, three young women. And uh, wonderful Kyalfins, they were a big blessing. And I'm, you know, trying to be a mom and trying to mentor them and, 
you know, trying to do everything that, that we all try to do. And um, at some point, we were all invited to go on a, a retreat up in Madrid, which is about five hours from where we live in Granada. And so the girls are going to go. Sean and the kids and I are going to go. But the people who had scheduled the retreat scheduled it at Thanksgiving, where my kids are in Spanish public school. They don't get off for Thanksgiving. You know, it's Spain. So I said, okay, Sean can take the three Chi Alpha girls up to Madrid. I'll stay home with the kids. They'll have a full school day. We'll get on the train, and then we'll follow them in the evening. You know, we're going to hold it all together. It's all going to be great. So Sean takes the girls. They drive up to Madrid. I stay behind with the children. They go to school. I pick them up. Um, We're eating lunch. We're packing our bags, and I get a phone call. And it's, um, it's an old Spanish guy, and he's saying, everything's flooding. And I'm like, what? What is going on? Well, it turns out it's the owner of the apartment where the three Chi Alpha girls live. And he's saying, everything's flooding. I'm like, oh no, you know, the girls' apartment is flooding and they're in Madrid and I don't know how to reach them. And he's like, you got to get over here quickly. In Spain, an owner of a rental apartment cannot go into the rental apartment if the people aren't present because of renters' rights. So I'm like, I tell the children who've never stayed alone before, uh, you're going to be fine. Just stay here and eat your lunch. I'm going to go take care of this apartment. And, and it's going to be fine. We're going we're gonna to be fine. And so I rummage through our like, junk drawer where all the keys are. And, and I grab the girls' keys. And I jog up the road. And I really hate running. I just have to tell you. We lived about a 10-minute walk from the three Chi Alpha girls. And I had to sort of jog it. It was terrible. And... So I get to the apartment, and the dueño, the owner, you know, he's like, it's flooding, it's flooding. And we can see water coming off the balcony of the girl's apartment. So I go to open the apartment door. It's not the right key. And so the dueño looks at me like, failure, you know. And, and I'm like, no, no, I have other keys. It's going to be fine. And so I leave him there, and I run back to the apartment, my apartment. And I rummage through the junk drawer. And I'm thinking, why did I not label these keys? You know, of course. And I grab another set of keys. And I just pray desperately. I mean, I'm Pentecostal. I prayed in tongues. Jesus, these have to be the right keys. Please let them be the right keys. And I jog back to the girl's apartment. It was the right keys. So we, we go in, um, the dueño and I, we go up the rickety elevator and I unlock the apartment, we burst in, and we get two surprises. One was a good surprise. It was not flooding. We can see through the apartment to the balcony door, and the balcony had gotten clogged with leaves, and so the recent rains had just been flooding off the balcony, but not inside the apartment, thank God, right? Second surprise, the Kayafa girls had forgotten to tell me that they had let a, a friend use their apartment while they were gone. And so this poor American girl is sitting there in the living room as the the owner and I burst into the apartment, you know. She screams and we scream and it was the whole thing. Thank you completely. And so I'm like, okay, we're all fine. You know, you're fine. It's not flooding. You know, I say goodbye to the dueño and I jog back to the apartment and I tell the children, we got to jump in the taxi. We got to get the train, you know, and we just run, 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 run. And we finally make it. Um, to Madrid. And I have held it all together. But you know, I didn't really. I felt terrible. 
You know, sometimes we drop the ball. Um, Sometimes we just don't hold it all together. But what this verse is saying is, when you are in Christ, you don't have to hold it all together. You are not God. Jesus holds the universe together. Not you, not me, not Pete, not Sean. We don't hold it all together. We have a small part to play, but we can let the king be the king. We can let him hold it all together. Sometimes we're going to fail. Sometimes we're not going to label the keys, right? Sometimes we're not going to meet that expectation, but Jesus always does, and we are in him. We can put all of those pieces we're desperately trying to hold together, and we can say to our king, will you hold this for me? I can't do it, but you can. That's the good news of the gospel. He is God, and we are not. I find that to be very good news. So finally, Paul says in verse 19, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus reconciles all things. Our king reconciles all things. There is a lot in our universe and in our world that needs to be reconciled. There's a lot in my life and in your life that needs to be reconciled. And this is what Jesus does. He put his own body between us and the Father. He's God himself and humans as well. He united us in one flesh on the cross. He reconciled us to a holy God. We could never have done that. And his same reconciling power, this says, is at work in all things. So we have forgiveness of sins, but it doesn't stop there. Jesus' reconciling power somehow will continue until he redeems the whole universe. You know, there's situations that we look at and we say, that's impossible to reconcile. Maybe it's your desires and the life you know Jesus wants for you. And you think, how will I reconcile those things? Or maybe there's a broken relationship in your life you think is impossible to reconcile. But the same Jesus who reconciled Jews and Gentiles together, people that did not want to be together, who thought of each other as the enemy, Jesus, in his loving sacrifice on the cross, brought those together. That means everything in your life and my life that we look at and say is impossible, his power is at work and can reconcile those things. This is the Jesus we proclaim This is our king. This is good news. You know, we have this phrase that we use when we look at things that, to our eyes, are broken beyond repair. And we say, as in a marriage that is broken beyond repair, we say, it's because of irreconcilable differences. Right? And that's the way we look at things humanly. 
But there were irreconcilable differences between us and a holy God. And Jesus healed that relationship by his blood, by his sacrifice. So if you think there are irreconcilable differences in your life that you are dealing with, you can give those to Jesus. You may not see a way forward, but that's okay. He's king. He's God. We're not. We can put those things in his hands and say, Lord, I don't know the way forward. I don't know how these things will come together. My past, my present, my future, I don't know how to reconcile these things. But I trust in you. I trust your love. I trust that you are bigger than the irreconcilable differences that I see all around me. He's the king, and that's good news. You know, by faith, we live as citizens of this kingdom now. A lot of it is yet to come, but we live by faith now. Paul, speaking in the present tense, he says, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Right now, that's where we live, by faith. And that's the good news. So you stand with me this morning. just want us to take a minute and think about these aspects of our king. I'm going to have the worship team come up. So if you've put your faith in Jesus this morning, I believe that he's calling you, he's calling me, to just think about who he is as the king of the kingdom that you now live in. Who sets the agenda of your life? Whose expectations are you living up to in your private life and your public life? Is he your why? Is he your why? If not, this morning's a good morning to say, Jesus, all these lesser things, I need them to find their place underneath your authority as the king. Everything is for Jesus. Secondly, maybe you're trying to hold everything together. And in a sense, we all do that. We feel like that's part of our job as humans. We're going to hold all those pieces together. But this morning, I believe that Jesus is saying to us, to me and to you, put those things in his hands. You don't have to be God. Sometimes you're going to do your part. Sometimes you might not hold it all together, and that's okay, because he does. He's the king. He holds it all together. And finally, he reconciles all things. Maybe this morning there's something in your life that it's stuck. You don't know how to reconcile it. And Jesus is saying to you, I'm the king. I'm the reconciler. I can do this if you'll put it in my hands. If you'll live under my authority, I can do more than you believe is possible. More than you ask or imagine. We let me pray for you this morning. Then we're going to sing a couple songs before we head to lunch. Just lift your hands to Jesus. Lord Jesus, I come to you this morning with my brothers and sisters here. Lord, if there's anyone here who has not yet 
said yes to this good news. If there's anyone here still living under what Paul calls the dominion of darkness, I pray right now, Jesus, that that person would receive you and become your child, to become your son, your daughter, with the full rights and inheritance of living in your kingdom. Right now, Jesus. And Lord, for those of us that have been walking with you and we know you, Lord, there are things that cloud our vision. We know the good news, but we need to really know the good news. And so I pray that you'll open our eyes and hearts to how good you are, how beautiful you are as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Help us to make you our why. Everything is for you, Jesus. Everything in my public life and my private life. And Lord, I pray for those who are desperately trying to hold everything together this morning and feel like they're a little bit on the edge of letting it all fall apart. Come, Jesus. Bring your peace. Wrap your arms around us. Let us know you are the one holding all things together. We don't have to. We can put those things in your hands. We can just be ourselves and let you be God. And finally, Lord, be our reconciler this morning. We look at our world and there's so much that needs reconciliation. And we look in our hearts and there's so much that needs reconciliation. You are the king who came and sacrificed yourself for us. This morning, Lord, be our reconciler, King Jesus. King Jesus, we live under your loving authority today. And that's such good news. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you are king. Lord, we cry out hallelujah. God, we praise you. We thank you that you are unchanging. Lord, you are the beginning and the end. You are our beginning and our end. Lord, justice and mercy are the foundation of your throne. And we thank you that, Jesus, you came between us and a holy God so that we could be a part of your kingdom now and into eternity. Lord, I think of the woman at the well that you talked with. Lord, you saw her. You knew her deeply. You knew the situation she was in, that she was living in sin and darkness. And even still, you offered her forgiveness. You offered her living water. You offered her an eternity with you, everlasting life in you. And I thank you that for everyone here, that they can walk in that freedom as well. Lord, that when they put their trust in you, they can walk with your righteousness. They can walk in your kingdom with you as their king. So Lord, we praise you, we thank you, and we ask that your kingdom would come to this earth, that your will would be done in Chi Alpha, at UVA, in Charlottesville, across the world, we ask that your kingdom would come. Let it be, King Jesus.
We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.